0: Last week's sermon, Pastor Steve asked the question, "What's the worst-case scenario in regard to our sin?" His answer was complacency or passivity. For if we're not willing to deal with our sin, then our sin has control over us. Great, great sermon. Knowing that I was going to preach this week, I got thinking, "What's the worst-case scenario for a preacher?" You know, what I came up with is, it's that moment when your kids come to you, if you have kids as a preacher, and they say to you, no more family illustrations. (laughs) We will not be your walking, living illustrations any longer in the sermon, Dad. We are off limits. That's a woe is me moment if you're a preacher. There goes your living illustrations. But there is hope, and that hope comes in the form of grandkids. (laughs) My daughter was with my eldest grandson, Elijah, who was four years old, and he was having one of those imaginary sword fights with his Nerf sword. There obviously was a villain. So in the midst of this kung fu moment when he would have thrusts and counter-thrusts, there was an exclamation every now and then when he'd say, Ha! Take that! Kimmy finally interrupted the scenario before her and said, Elijah, what are you doing? With absolutely no hesitation, he said, I am beating up the bad guys, and then I'm going to bring them to Jesus. Interesting interpretation of the Great Commission. Susan, my wife, and I are teaching a class called Next Steps. It was actually brought to us by Dan and Marge, uh, Pastor Dan and Marge, and uh, Steve and Sherry Thorne. And this class is a 10-week class for a person who's investigating the claims of Christ, or maybe it's a new Christian, or maybe it's a person who's an agnostic and just wants to come and dialogue about the faith. So you start with the first class, and it deals with Scripture, and then the second class deals with creation, and the third class deals with the fall that takes place in Genesis, the third chapter. And eventually you get to the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. And, of course, you start with Abram. A recurring theme started, started to develop as we taught this class. It's kind of a class where you dialogue with the students. And as soon and I were teaching the class, the class, the question that kept coming up was, hey, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? I mean, the God in the Old Testament almost appears provincial. He's he's involved with just one nation, and he he emphasizes law and covenant. And yet, when you get to the New Testament, you find a God of love and compassion. Someone was even so bold to ask the question, how did did the Great Commission actually fit into the Bible? You know, the commission by Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel— Well, you don't see that in the Old Testament. God appears angry, upset, ethnocentric. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Are there any inklings in the Old Testament of the coming forth of the Great Commission? So I want to invite us to look at this this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis, the 12th chapter. Genesis chapter 12, I think it's on page 8, whether you're here or whether you're at our church at Longridge. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, and his name is going to be changed to Abraham a little bit later. Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, the father of the nation of, of Israel, is told to do three very radical and difficult things. First, he has to leave his country. He has to go into exile, is what we would term a political exile at this point, or we might even say he's an illegal alien. No matter where he goes, he has no country. And his lack of political clout is going to become readily apparent as he journeys into Egypt because of the famine. Second, he is commanded to leave his people. If you've ever been with us on one of our short-term mission trips, we call them stamp trips here, you know, one of the things we talk about a great deal is is this concept of culture shock culture shock is that realization that very rational people throughout the rest of the world don't always think the same way as americans do and so sometimes it's a great culture shock when for example you're eating with someone you realize that the concept for breakfast having cold milk is totally foreign to them or they're Etiquette when they get around to eat and they have a common bowl, they don't have spoons or forks, they reach in with their hands and together take the food. Or if you're overseas and you're having soup and you realize it's not from the Campbell's soup can at all. This really became stark to me one day when I was visiting uh, overseas in Asia. And as they gave me a, a stew, and as I started to eat it, the eyeball of the animal floated to the top of the stew. And I realized I was no longer in Fairfield, Connecticut. <laughs> thirdly, Abraham is told to leave his father's household. In the Old Testament, indeed, in much of the world today, the social network or the network that takes care of the elderly is, revolves around the family. And so, here, Abraham is told to leave, leave the security of his, of his family Right now, his family is in Haran as we come to the story. Haran is, of course, in Syria. Before that, uh, they'd been in um, Ur the Chaldees, which is Iraq. So really, we're dealing with Abraham in the midst of countries that we are very familiar with, Syria and Iraq. He is told to leave his family. He is told to leave his country he is told to leave his father's household. But notice the dominant theme as we come to verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who you bless. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. The dominant word is blessing. Four blessings are promised to Abraham here. First, the Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. The Lord says to Abram, I'm about to do some amazing things in your life, much broader than the blessing of your own clan or your little tribe or your own little people. I am going to make you into a great nation. Second blessing, I will make your name great. If we took just a little time to flip back one chapter to chapter 11, we would find that what's going on in that chapter is the people are trying to build a, a temple, a high temple. We call it the Tower of Babel. In verse 11 of chapter 4, it reads this way. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves in the city a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Abram, God says. I am going to fulfill their desire in your life. I am going to make your name great. Third, I will bless you. And those people that bless you, I will bless. And those people that curse you, I will curse. Abram, how people treat you is going to matter as far as their blessing and their curse. And fourth, I will make all peoples or all nations of the earth will be a blessing through you your family, your blessing, is going to have an international effect. Not because you're so perfect. As a matter of fact, when we look at the life of Abram, we find a very imperfect man. One of the things I like about the Bible is that it presents the saints, the great patriarchs of the Old Testament and the saints of the New It's full of foibles. They're not perfect people at all. And Abram was not a perfect person. We're going to find in the next 14 chapters, he does some very despicable things. But because of his obedience, the Lord says, As you leave your country, as you leave your people, as you leave your father's household, I am going to bless you. But you are not to hoard those blessings. For you are blessed so that others will be blessed because of you. Your blessing is going to result in a conduit that will result in a blessing to all people. So back to our starting point question as we started this morning. Is God that we find in the Old Testament the same God that we find in the New Testament? How is the promise given to Abram fulfilled in our lives? Paul in the New Testament makes a startling statement. Remember, he's a Jew, part of chosen Jewish race. But in Galatians 3.29, he says this, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heir to the promise. Wow! You mean to tell me that I am heir to the promise of Abram? If I am a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are part of the seed of Abram. As a matter of fact, Peter even makes this more clear. In the second chapter of First Peter, verse 9, Peter writes these words, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not the people of God, but now you are the people of God. You and I, as we have been called out of our darkness, have become the people of God. And that's the link that you and I carry between the promise given to Abram in the 12th chapter of Genesis and our lives as Christians today And that's the message that you and I carry in our very bosoms. That's where the origination of the great commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel came from. That's what drives us here at Black Rock Church. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. And that's why we send missionaries throughout the world. That's why we have 70 missionary families that we support literally around the globe. That's why we continue to send missionaries even today. That's why we spend a million dollars every year to send people overseas to present the message of Jesus Christ. Because we have been blessed. Not that we can hoard it. So that we can be a blessing to others. That's why we support 16 local ministries like Pivot Ministries and Bridgeport Rescue Mission and Reentry Ministry and his mansion in the city of Bridgeport. That's why we send Jeremy Root and our high school kids into the Dominican Republic. That's why we're involved in feeding the poor and the hungry. That's why we're involved in Urban Impact in the city with the, with the kids and the Royal Family Kids Camp. All the ministries we're involved with in is a result of us being blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. And if God gives us a new church, a new building, which it looks like He's going to do, it's not so we can have the building. It's so that we can use the building to bless our community. That's why God blesses us. Whether you're called to be a vocational missionary or not, God has called you to be a blessing in the place that you are placed. When I was in the Air Force several years ago, I sometimes would feel far sorry for myself where I look around and I say, of the 48 other officers in this squadron, I think I'm the only Christian. And I'd feel sorry for myself and I'd say, whoa, whoa, you Larry, you're the only Christian in this, in this officer corps, in this particular squadron. I mean, I would feel like Ezekiel when he talks about living in the midst of a hard-necked people, people full of briars and thorns and scorpions. And I'd say, Lord, you made me live among these people that are so prickly, so difficult to live with. They're so quick to take off the wedding ring when they take off in their fighter airplanes as they're going out and doing all kinds of things that are detestable. Lord, and I feel so sorry for myself. And then I had to come to the realization that, you know, God has blessed me with the message of the cross. And I needed to use that in the midst of the context of where I was living. God had blessed me to be a blessing to these officers and to the men that work for me. You know, I was so encouraged the other day when someone called me and they'd received an advancement in their uh, school assignment. And this particular person called me and we meet together periodically and said, Larry, can we just get get together and pray? And I thought we're going to get together and he's going to tell me all about this new advancement. But that's not what it was about at all. He said, Larry, I see this new position as a great blessing so I can bless others. So I can be the blessing to the teachers that report to me. I can be a blessing to the students. And I'll do this in a tactful way, but I can be a blessing in the midst of that context. Blessed to be a blessing. So did God fail Abram in these promises to be a blessed? Well, his name is certainly well known. It's known by the three great religions of the world. All of them claim Abram is one of the great patriarchs, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There's a nation that bears the name of Israel now, and in the midst of a very hostile climate, it continues to thrive and prosper. But what about that final blessing? Are all the nations of the earth blessed because of Abram? And we have to say, not yet. That there still are places in this world that have not heard of the blessing. But one day it's going to happen. The book of Revelation, casting our eye forward, unlike the book of Genesis that casts our eye back historically, Revelation looks forward and it says, one day, there will be a place full of a a group of people no one can count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they will stand before the throne of God And they will give Him praise. It is going to happen. And so you and I are part of that blessing. The Bible is not some random account of God's dealing with an ethnocentric group of people in Israel. Rather, it is God's illustration of how in the Old Testament people were blessed to be a blessing. In the New Testament, it's lived out even in a more complete way as christ has come to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others you know i started the sermon by mentioning the the worst case scenario for the preacher is when his kids will no longer be allow him to use them as an illustration but well, that doesn't apply to your wife <laughs> so let me illustrate finally what happened in a situation in our former church my wife was leading together with me, a, a ministry where we were uh, training people to share their faith, evangelism, if you will. And the way this system worked, you went out in groups of three after you learned an outline and you learned the Bible outline, then you put some Bible verses on it, and then on top of that, you used your own illustrations. It became very personal, but there was kind of a formulaic uh, aspect of it. And you went out in groups of three, a person who was trained and then two other people who were in training. And my wife was the person that was trained, she had two other people with her. And let me assure you, when you walk up to the door of someone, and the way it worked is if someone visited the church and they wanted a, a, a visit, uh, we made that very, very apparent that uh, we'd love to come and talk with you about spiritual things. And so people would invite us to their home. And so Susan was leading this particular group, and if it's your turn to make the presentation, I tell you, when you're walking up on that curb up to the home, your heart is beating. Like, oh, my goodness, it's my turn to talk. And so in a particular case, uh, she's walking up to the door. They knock in the door. The young family comes to the door and invites them in. And they start to talk on spiritual things. And uh, eventually it gets to the realization. Everyone gets to the realization that these people don't know Christ, but they're really interested in the gospel. And so Susan turns to the person who's supposed to make the presentation, the person in training. This is his first time. And She nods to him. And so he starts with the outline. But he gets it totally messed up. And he gets the outline completely out of sync. He uses Bible verses, some of which are in the Bible, some of which are not. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just kind of going. His illustrations are really strange. And Susan realizes this is a train wreck about the happiness that's coming into the station. But at the end of these presentations, you're learned, uh, you, we taught them to uh, end with a question. And the question was, does this make sense to you? Does this gospel presentation make sense to you? So this guy, totally nervous now and red and not knowing what to do, can't even remember the final question. And so he turns to the person and says, this doesn't make any sense to you, does it? <laughs> to which the person responded, it makes perfect sense to me. And he, as his mouth drops, goes, it does. And they proceed To clarify the gospel, and this young couple trust the Lord that night. And as a matter of fact, that young young couple resulted in he's now an elder in my former church, and she's the head of the deacons. What a great privilege it is to take the blessing that God has given to us, and to share that blessing with others. We as a nation. On this 4th of July weekend, we have been blessed with so many blessings. But God has not blessed this country, the United States of America, so we can just enjoy our little blessings. God has blessed us so that we can bless the nations. And God has blessed you and God has blessed me individually. Blessed to be a blessing so we can be a blessing to others. And that's the call for us this morning. Blessed to be a blessing.